Pure Dog Talk is the voice of purebred dogs. We talk to the legends of the sport and give you the tips and tools to create an awesome life with your purebred dog. From showing to preservation breeding, from competitive obedience to field work, from agility to therapy dogs, and all the fun in between, your passion is our purpose. Welcome to Pure Dog Talk. I am your host, Laura Reeves. And we have a really, really cool topic for you guys today. This is something I've had a number of listeners ask about, and I'm very, very happy to be joined by Lori Jodar, who is the president of the Burner Guard Foundation. And Lori is going to give us more information on this, but the Burner Guard Foundation is created by Bernese Mountain Dog Breeders as a way to develop information and knowledge and sort of crowdsource this for their breeders. Pure Dog Talk is proudly sponsored by Trupanion, medical insurance for the life of your pet. This year, give your buyers the gift of peace of mind with a special go-home day offer from Trupanion. This offer provides puppies with immediate coverage, so they're protected should they get into mischief in their new homes. Trupanion covers pets against unexpected accidents and illnesses with no payout limits, helping ease the financial burden when a pet gets sick or injured. Even better, Trepanion is able to pay the veterinarian directly at the time of checkout, which means less out-of-pocket for your buyers. You can get this special offer for your buyers as part of the Breeder Support Program. It's completely free to join and available for breeders in the U.S., Canada, and Australia. Getting started is quick and easy. Just follow the link on my partner page at puredogtalk.com to get started. So, welcome, Lori. I am super excited to have you join us. Happy to be here. Excellent. So, give me a little bit, we call it the 411, a little background on you and dogs, obviously, Bernese Mountain Dogs, but what brought you to this project and to Bernese Mountain Dogs? Well, Bernie's Mountain Dogs have been a part of my life since 1977. So I am almost the grandma now of the breed. There's one other woman who's been in it a little longer than me, who's still active in the club. In fact, she's a judge. But yes, I met a man who had been involved in Newfoundlands. And when we decided to get together and move up north and I wanted a dog, he said, I want a Bernie's Mountain Dog. And I said, what the hell is a Bernie's Mountain Dog? Because in 1977, there were really just a handful of them. But I did get a Bernie's Mountain Dog. I got a lovely male, and we showed him to his championship. And then he went on to win the national specialty. Oh, my goodness. He was three years old. So it's been downhill from there, actually, in terms of competition. But obviously, fell in love totally with the breed and have not stopped being involved very actively. All of my adult life has been involved in Bernie's Mountain Dogs. So I got deeply involved in the parent club and then I was president for several years and then I was the health committee and then there was Burner Guard. So, and Burner Guard is about to enter its 29th year. That is amazing. So this is a perfect segue. And I mean, I've sort of known about Burner Guard in the back of my mind, at least in the last few years. But if you're talking 30 years of doing this, that is a remarkable achievement where many of us are just, we're barely getting together health committees when chicks started 10, 15 years ago. 
Mm-hmm. So talk to us about what was the impetus? What started the idea to create Bernard? Well, I think that the breed is actually kind of a fragile breed health-wise. You know, our average longevity is eight years. That's not to say that they don't live to be 12 or 13, but that's more rare than not. And we are unfortunately felled in the prime of their lives with a genetic cancer called malignant histiocytosis. Okay. And it is always fatal and it tends to take them out as early as we've had them as early as 18 months and as you know late as 12 but mostly seven eight you know we're always kind of holding our breath when our dogs get to be seven or eight but even before that in the 60s the club for some reason was interested in health and they started collecting health information on three by five cards we had in the 60s and so then We had a couple from San Francisco, Barbara and Martin Packard. Martin was a genius. He was an early biomedical engineer and involved in MRI and all of that kind of stuff before anybody knew anything about all that stuff. And he also had an affinity for computers. So he decided to computerize this three by five card database. Oh, my gosh. They were quirky people because pioneers always are kind of quirky, but they also, Barbara started the San Francisco Bay Burners and that group was really most influential in getting something like this started. It was the seventies and people were talking about hip dysplasia Mm -hmm. and the fact that hip dysplasia could be genetic and not caused by gamma rays or something was so radical at that time. But the veterinarians and the researchers were finally beginning to realize that these things are genetic and there might be something we can do about it. So that's a long segue into then into the 80s. Barbara started a steering committee of which I was a member and decided to make this computerized database that they had created more official. And that's when the Bernard Foundation was incorporated in the state of California. And we got our 5013C status shortly after. So, I mean, so you're talking the 80s. What was the impetus or the thought behind making it a nonprofit? So, again, the Packards were a little quirky. They were not necessarily embraced by the entire competitive community of Bernie's Mountain Dogs, because really nobody wanted to talk about health issues at that point. But they persisted. They were nothing if not tenacious. And I was the first president. Barbara didn't want to be president, but we took it to the parent club. And the parent club said, no, we're not ready for this. Oh, my gosh. Okay. And so we said, well, that's too bad because we're going to do this anyway. And they said, what? You're going to do this with or without us? And we said, yeah, because we think it's important. Wow. So that decision still has ramifications to this day, 30 years later. But the Bernard Foundation, from the very beginning, made a commitment that we would be committed to the parent club. The Bernie's Mountain Dog Club of America was extremely important. We didn't really want to be so independent that we wouldn't do things with them or without their blessing. So... Mm-hmm. The decision was basically made that it would be a good decision. We wouldn't be 
affected by the whims and changes of an ever-changing board and was the board going to be interested in health, was it not, et cetera, et cetera. So the mission has always been this. The mission of Bernegar has always been genetic, genetic, genetic. And because of that, we've been able to stay on course. The Parent Club, the Bernese Mountain Dog Club of America and the Bernegar Foundation have remained very good partners throughout the years. So that's a good thing. That is amazing. And so- yeah health research and this sort of thing costs money. So talk to us about the fundraising and how do you manage that process? Well, Bernie's mountain dog people, a lot are very much like their dogs. They're loving and giving and loyal, and they are very generous with their time and their money and their resources. And so fundraising has really never been a challenge for us. It's amazing. We have a woman in the breed. Her name is Joy Neff. That's her life. She does fundraising for Bernie's Mountain Dog things, be it rescue, be it there's a group called Bark and they take auction dogs and rehabilitate them and adopt them out and and all sorts of things. And she, a few months ago, raised $40,000 for us to fund phase one of a liquid biopsy research thing that we're doing. So um chump change, man. No, it's not chump change. No. So we are blessed with a healthy bank account. And again, we're partners with the Bernie's Mountain Dog Club of America. We actually handle a lot of their donations, especially through a health auction that we do every year as a fiscal sponsor so that people are able to write checks to the Bernegard Foundation in support of the Bernie's Mountain Dog Club of America and still get their tax right off. So it's just worked. The most expensive thing that we have done to date is to start a repository. We started a DNA and tissue repository. We knew we wanted to study this malignant histiocytosis. Mm -hmm. So in 2006, we partnered with Michigan State University, Dr. Vilma Uzbeki and Gherkin. That's a lot to say. So we call her Dr. Vilma. And she's a brilliant researcher as well as being a professor at Michigan State University Veterinary School. And she has managed a repository for us. We have 4,000 unique dogs in the repository. And I don't know how many tumors we have, but not that many, but like a thousand. When used for research. How is that separate or different from, because OFA has a DNA repository also. They do. They do. And we talked to them in the very, very beginning. We actually sent out proposals to all of the veterinary schools, including Missouri and OFA. And I mean, anybody could do it really. But our main concerns was that we wanted to have control over how the DNA and how the tumors were going to be used. And OFA was not interested in giving us any control whatsoever. And I understand that. But we said, okay, fine, we're going to go someplace else. Interesting. So Dr. Vilma has been a great supporter of Bernie's Mountain Dogs. She does research on other breeds too, but you know, we've had to have a couple of conversations a couple of times about, well, we really want to do this, Vilma, and she'll go, oh, okay. But it's been great. It's been absolutely great. It's very expensive, very, very expensive. But what has morphed out of that is there's a group in France that has been studying histiocytic sarcoma for a long time, and they are finding some answers. So we have shared DNA with them, tumor submissions with them. We're about to send several hundred DNA samples to them for their continuing research. Wow. The other thing that's happened is Dr. Vilma discovered a drug called Terminibib, which is being used somewhat in the veterinary community, but it really hasn't been authorized for that. 
And she's done a mouse study and a clinical trial one, and we're now in the midst of a final clinical trial using this drug on this cancer. Wow. You're seeing good results from this? Well, it just started. But she has had fantastic results in the first two phases, the mouse study and the Mm -hmm. first clinical trial. Mm -hmm. The first clinical trial was more about balancing dosage and that kind of stuff. And this is a true clinical trial that just started. Four universities, Virginia Tech, University of Florida, University of Wisconsin, and Michigan State. So it's kind of a big deal. That's amazing. uh, And this is being coordinated through Morris Animal Foundation also. But I'm saying this is all happening because of your organization. Oh, yeah. That's incredible. (laughs) Um, It really is. It really is incredible. So can you talk about like success stories. Give us a, for example, so I have Bernie's mountain dogs and I go to Berner Garden. and I want to do a breeding, right? Talk to us about some of the types of information that people can get from this and some of the successes that you just personally know about. Well, it's hard for me to pinpoint individual successes, but the database that we have is so vibrant and vital to the community. And I don't think I can overstate it. It's become part of everybody's life. And if they complain about anything, they being the community of breeders, they complain about anything. It's that there's never enough information. People don't put enough information in there. So through this database, there's health records, We divide the health records into what we call anecdotal and diagnosed. So to be diagnosed, you have to have veterinary support, a pathology report or veterinary report to actually have a diagnosed condition. And then we do all the health certs. You know, we get a quarterly thing from OFA on hips and elbows and whatever they're doing. We also have, you know, about 50% of the dogs in the database now are not U.S. They're from Europe and Australia and Canada So we needed to learn how to interpret all of those records, like through the FCI in Europe, and it's a lot. So we have database operators all over the world now. We have about 30 of them, and they're kind of the in-between between the people that want to submit information. And it's not hard, but it's different, you know? Right. I don't know how to do it. Okay, so we help them and make sure. And then the data operators help verify the information too. Our main goal is to make sure that the information is correct and verifiable and that everything's spelled right and your name is spelled right and your dog's name is spelled right and the AKC numbers or the registration. We are so focused on accuracy that I think that has given us legitimacy, actually. That focus. Right. I don't know how to spell your name in the database. How can I trust that you've got all this health stuff right? Mm -hmm. Because Martin Packard, you know, the originator of the database, he felt that this was going to be used more for research. And it didn't really matter if he didn't spell your name right, as long as he had, well, you know, that didn't sit well with a lot of people. So when Martin retired and we took it over, that was one of our goals to make sure that everything was accurate. Wow. And so... I'm still visualizing mm-hmm. how the breeders are using this. If you got a bitch and you are looking for a stud, you can go to our database. We have a stud finder and you can put in parameters, what the age is, 
Do they need their hips? Do they need their elbows? Do they need DM? Do they need whatever it is that you feel you need for your breeding? And then we'll just spit out a list of stud dogs. Then you can, you know, there's, of course, never enough information for a breeder, but you then have a list that you can start with, that you can start to narrow down. And you can also do trial pedigrees. I was going to say, it's got a pedigree piece to it, right? It does. Yes. So you can do a trial pedigree. We also do COIs, coefficient of inbreeding Mm -hmm. for every dog. And there's pictures of these dogs too. It's pictures. Mm-hmm. You can put five pictures of your dog in there. Yeah. <laughs> just, just so you know, there's 215,000 dogs in the database right now. That I mean, you know, some of us are limping along with these, you know, yearbooks, right? Flip through. <laughs> I know. It's just sort of mind boggling to me. And I'm so excited to talk to you more about it and really get the depth of it. Hang tight, guys. Got a little bit of information for you. We'll be right back to the podcast in a minute. All right, crew. Did you know that you can earn money for your National Parent Breed Club through the Purina Parent Club Partnership Program? Honestly, this is just an amazing program that's raised more than $8 million for canine health research, judges education, and rescue since it began in 2002. It's easy to participate Members of Purina Pro Club sign up by designating their National Parent Breed Club through their Pro Club account or at any Purina-sponsored event. When members submit receipts for qualifying Purina pet foods, Purina matches 10% for every dollar earned in Purina points. Half of that goes directly to the Parent Club and half to the AKC Canine Health Foundation to be used for breed-specific health research. Clubs have used their funding to support scholarships, youth programs, and breed rescue. PPCP is a win-win program that truly benefits dogs everywhere and those who love them. If you want to learn more, visit PurinaProClub.com backslash about backslash partnerships. I'm telling you, this is my very favorite program. I love this. And I want you guys to check it out too. You know, one of the most important ideas when we're breeding dogs is to make health information open to discussion without blame. So going back to when the board said, no, we're not going to do it. And it's the idea behind Chick, the Canine Health Information Center. But you guys predate that by yeah. a couple decades. So yeah. <laughs> talk to me about this, this concept and how the burner people have managed to create a culture in which it's okay to talk about what the health is and not, you know, well, you can't use such and such dog because, you know, it makes purple green alligators, you know, like, how do you Well, there's certainly an element of that. I mean, it's a sport, you know, at the end of the day, this is a sport, you know, you show your dog, my dog's better than your dog, et cetera, et cetera. And so what we've tried to foster is how do you make your breeding program better? Mm -hmm. And we have always stressed that this is an open database. Mm -hmm. We want the good, the bad, and the ugly. And you have to agree to that. And it's amazing how much information we have on 
illness, dogs that don't certify, et cetera, et cetera. That's the difference between us and Chick Mm -hmm. is that OFA will only publish or display dogs that have passed their certifications unless they have specific permission from the owner to display dogs that have not certified. Mm -hmm. Like I say, we want it all. We want the good, the bad, and the ugly. And that's not to say that everybody's on board. We're currently having a huge discussion amongst the community on SAS. And we know that there are a couple of studs out there that are producing SAS and it's not getting reported the way we want it to be reported. And people are afraid of it. And so that kind of stuff is terrifying to a breeder when you've worked so hard to produce really quality dogs and there's stuff out there like that that you basically have no control over. And we at Bernegard understand that. There's no judgment here. I've always said that breeders are some of the most courageous people in the world because sometimes it's a shot in the dark, even though you've tried to put everything together and it's protoplasm and it goes wrong sometimes. So It goes wrong. I frequently liken breeders to people with a gambling addiction because you just know that the next one, the next time you push that button, it's going to be right. It just has to be and it's going to be the big winner. And you keep going back no matter how many times you get kicked. And I think that that is, as you say, a lot of courage. So let me just say that in terms of supporting the breeder community, that is something that the Packards never really envisioned, that the database would become such a support mechanism for breeders and puppy buyers and et cetera. It's only recently in the 30 years that we've been doing this that we have actually been able to support research. And the research really from the data, it's really the repository that's supporting the research. But we have all of these biological samples, but we have all of the stuff in the database to back it up in terms of right. and pedigrees and that kind of stuff. Right. It's really more about the breeder community that feels strongly about the database. So I guess my final thing then is how do we out there in the listener land, how do we replicate this? How do we make this a thing in other breeds and other clubs? What's your advice? What's your to-do list, your tips and tools, right? How would you recommend someone try and start something like this? You need support. You know, you need support of something, something official, I think. Even though we didn't start with the parent club, we had the San Francisco Bay Burners, and that was an official AKC-recognized club at the time. And it just sort of blossomed from there. And I think that maybe you realize that this is a lifetime commitment by some organization. This isn't something that happens overnight. It evolves. We have made our database available for a donation to Burner Guard, just the way it is. Our IT director, Gary, has actually customized some databases for several breed clubs, but he's extremely busy and he can only do maybe one a year. So you need an IT person. I mean, you got to have You need an IT person. Yeah. I mean, we could provide an empty database for you Mm -hmm. with everything that we have, but different breeds need different things and you may not like ours or might be too complex. I mean, for me, it's more the concept of building the organization that then (laughs) creates the database. And how do you bring in the data entry, just the data entry. You've got to have bodies. 
you know, <laughs> there's yeah. so much that goes with Our, that. Yeah. Data operators for us tend to be kind of like librarians. They're very focused on detail and accuracy. And typically they're not breeders. And it isn't that we don't want breeders as data operators, but if you're a breeder and you're sharing information with a breeder, sometimes that can be a little bit intimidating. But our breeders know that our data operators, they're not competitive. They're not passing judgment. They really just sometimes don't even pay attention to what's coming in. I think that's a really interesting concept in terms of we're always... I mean, I'm past president of my club as well, so I understand the club concept. And one of the things that we always try and think about is how do we bring in our pet owners, or in my case, just the hunting dog owners, stuff like that. How do we incorporate them in the national club? How do we make this something that's useful for them or, you know, get them involved? And I'm like, hey... I just love this concept of how would you like to be a member of the National Club and be a data entry person? It seems like there's opportunities there. What you've done is create a whole of the breed, not just the competitive dog show people, but a whole of the breed, including your pet owners and your families and all of these other people in this enormous community that is supporting this concept. And I love that. Well, we've been able to foster a basic culture that we already had, I think. Just a deep, deep love of the breed and heartbreak over losing our dogs so early. Was that the only impetus? I don't know. I don't know how people feel about their sporting dogs. I know that golden retriever people kind of have the same thing. You know, they have more than we have in terms of their health foundation and their partnership with Morris and the golden retriever study and all that kind of stuff. And I don't know what happens with a Cocker Spaniel community. I just don't know. Is there a basic culture there that somebody can foster? Right. And that's, I think you've kind of hit on it. It's the culture and people are going to have to... If they want to do something like this, they're going to have to foster a culture as well as just the basic concept, right? Mm -hmm. That those two things are going together is what I'm hearing from you. Right. And it doesn't always work. We have what we feel is the the gold standard in terms of the database and the foundation and all that kind of stuff. On the other hand, you know, there's a Facebook page out there that has like, I don't know, 14,000 followers. And those administrators will not let you even mention the word Bernard. We can't figure it out. We don't know what we did. I mean, so there's a, there's a group out there that, you know, is still fearful of this for some reason. And maybe they fear the judgment. Maybe they fear that, that, that yeah, the conversation about- people are going to judge. And we've been able to prove over 29 years that we don't judge. We don't judge. This is all about the breed. This is all about the health of the breed. We know what you do is difficult. And there's other things for competitive. You know, there's dog shows and we do the top 20 and we do sweeps and we do futurity and we do all of that kind of stuff too under the auspices of the parent club. But this is totally separate. I don't know if that helps answer the question or not. But I think that that's, you know, there's people that still won't participate in Chick. I mean, you know, it's the same thing. The test and tell. It's the tell part that matters. And 
I think it's made a difference in my breed chick has for sure. And so mm-hmm. I only imagine the improvement of health outcomes that you guys have seen in the Burgings Mountain Dog. As well, well, you know, I think that our very, very early focus on orthopedics has made a huge difference, mm-hmm. huge difference. Mm-hmm. Not that we don't have dysplasia, but it's not coming from the really, really good breeders. You know, and the other problem is Bernie's Mountain Dogs have become very, very popular. Mm-hmm. So there's the backyard breeders and there's the puppy mills and all of that kind of stuff. And, you know, they're producing unhealthy dogs and they want to be associated with Bernard, but, you know, and then there's the doodles, of course. Oh, God. <laughs> I don't know if you want to talk about doodles. It just makes my head spin off my body. I can't. I can't. I can't fathom why anybody thinks that's a good idea. At any rate. Oh, well, it's my opinion that at a certain point, some kind of doodle will be an AKC registered dog. But man, it's tough. I have no idea what the poodle people think. but the- I'm sure much the same. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we only worry about burner doodles, and then there's every other kind of doodle that you can imagine. So if you're a breeder and you are a Bernie's Mountain Dog breeder and a doodle breeder, you don't get to be in the Burner Guard database. Mm -hmm. We're all about purebred Bernie's Mountain Dogs. So, Right. But I think Burner Guard has got to be a resource for the pet buying public also. Yes. Mm -hmm. This is a breed that has some health issues, and here's a way for you to know that your breeder is one who's working to improve those. Right. We have little icons that we put on your dog's page. If you've done your certifications, if you've participated in the repository and, you know, there's gold stars and red hearts. And then also we're focusing on longevity now. So we've got roses for dogs that reach veteran age. So yeah, it's just... You know, we're so serious about so much stuff, Bernard. So every once in a while, we say, all right, we got to lighten up here. You know, we got (laughs) to, like, let's make this dog page a lot more fun, you know. So, yeah. So we've got gold stars and red roses and red hearts. And, yeah, people really go for the gold stars when you've done your certification. You don't have to pass. You don't have to be certified. If you've done the test. Yes. You've done the test. Yes. You get a gold star. So. love it. Yeah. Well, Lori, thank you so much for sharing your heart. This is clearly a passion for you. And I think that that is of benefit to your breeds. So thank you. Well, I was very pleased to be able to, obviously I can talk about Bernard forever, but this is a great opportunity and I really appreciate you giving us the focus and the time. Excellent. Thank you so much, Lori. You have a great day. You too. Happy new year. All right, crew. I hear from folks pretty much daily asking for a specific topic or for a series of podcasts on a topic. So ask and you shall receive. (laughs) I've done all the hard work. I've sorted, searched, and compiled eight different albums from the archives on our most popular topics. And when I say there's a podcast for that, I ain't just a woofin'. Getting yours today is super simple. Just jump on puredogtalk.com backslash store and click the PDT albums image. 
And when you're in there, you're going to find a collection of veterinary voices. You're going to find a collection for breeding and whelping hands-on. You'll find Pure Dog Talk University on dog breeding. Love the breeds. Up your game. Owner handlers, the interviews, events and sports. There is so much there. And once you're in those links, you'll be able to read the details of the topic. For a special introductory price of a buck ninety-nine, you get a link to dozens, up to more than a hundred episodes on these specific topics. And while you're there, if you or a friend or family member are just getting started, even just starting a search for your first well-bred purebred dog, you can also check out Auntie Laura's Beginner's Guide to Show Dogs at puredogtalk.com backslash book to get the foundational Pure Dog Talk episodes with bonus tracks. So hop on it, y'all. These special prices will not last. As always, if you have any questions or input, we'd love to hear from you. The show notes and links to resources on today's topic are available at puredogtalk.com. Drop us a note in the comments or email to laura at puredogtalk.com. Remember, guys, this podcast is for you. So if you want to know something, give me a holler. We'll do a podcast for you. If you wouldn't mind, you could help me out here. Take a couple minutes to visit iTunes and give us a review. The Dog Show Superintendents Association is a proud supporter of Pure Dog Talk. Our dog show superintendents are the hardworking people who make the dog show function. They are advocates for education and mentorship in the purebred dog fancy. So stop by the Supers desk at your next show. Tell them how much you love Pure Dog Talk and give them a shout out for their support. That's all for today. Thank you for joining us on Pure Dog Talk.